Good morning. I titled this sermon, Fishing with Jesus. And um, my prayer is that, that this church, the people of God, that we would be compelled by the love of God. We'd be compelled by the favor that he's shown us in and through Jesus Christ to, to fish, to throw the net of God's word um, where we live, work, play, and learn. Just a bit of a, you got to start off a sermon like this with a fishing story. And um, here's the story. Um, I enjoy fishing, but I'm not a very good fisherman. Um, I have deep sea fished before. Um, we've done it in Mexico and in Florida, and that's great. But I particularly enjoy fly fishing. Fly fishing is kind of my jam. I want to say it's my jam. It's not because I'm good at it and I catch fish, but I enjoy it. It's a, it's a great way just to spend time with the Lord. And I especially enjoy going with other men that know what they're doing. Um, some of you in this body know what you're doing, and I've gone with you. And you help me tie my fly. You tell me what the hatch is and what kind of fly to put on it. You tell me where to cast it. You tell me when to set it. Um, and you tell me not to blow it. And, um, and I really enjoy just going with somebody that really knows what they're doing. Um, what I like about fly fishing as well is that you can go and fish the same waters, the same holes, with the same fly and get different results every time. I enjoy going to the same river where I can get to know the river, get to know the pockets, get to know the way the stream flows, and get to know the unique personality of the fish that are in that river. And you know, sometimes I do everything right and I catch nothing. And there's other times where I've just bumbled around, slipping on the rocks, picking myself up, and lo and behold, there's a fish on the hook. Uh, there was one time when I was, we were up at uh, Winter Park with my family, and I was fishing with my, bro- my son-in-law, Jared, who's an expert fisherman, and it was cold. Um, the, the, the water was so cold. I had shorts on, and my legs were numb. And we were fishing with a dry fly. Dry fly floats, and then a wet fly uh, on there as well, that, uh, a dropper that, that drops. And I got a fish on the dry fly, and I was reeling it in. And, and I couldn't, I was trying to get it in like further so I could get it in the net and I kept yanking it and it was the, 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 the uh, drop fly, the wet fly was caught on a rock apparently, but there was a fish on the drive. And as I pulled it up and I looked down and it wasn't caught on a rock, but it was caught on my calf. <laughs> and I didn't even, I didn't even know it, but my leg was so numb. But the moral of the story is, is that you really don't know, need to know what you're doing to catch fish, that God is sovereign over that as well. So the question is, is why do I tell this story? Because if you are followers of Jesus, you have been given the call to fish. Every one of you. Sometimes God will send us somewhere to fish, but most of the time he wants us to fish in the waters where he has placed us. The waters where we work, play, live, and learn. We can't truly experience the joy available to us in this life until we fish. Last week, Josh hammered home the point that Jesus speaking is his what? His doing. It was the big idea. Jesus speaking is his doing. As we saw Jesus speak and people were astonished by his authoritative and powerful teaching, We saw him cast a demon out. He spoke the demon out. His speaking is his doing. And today we're going to see that Jesus' doing 
demands a response from, the, from his people. And that response, in its simplest form, is to, is to follow him and to join him in fishing for others. So I want to ask you a couple of questions up front. What is your response to God's favor in your life? What is your response to God's mercy and grace in your life? And what is the evidence of that response? How does his favor towards you in salvation and by his common grace compel you to want to tell others about this salvation? In today's passage, we're going to see Jesus masterfully set up an illustration or a parable, if you will, that will inform every follower of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see it in three parts. Verses 1 through 3, we're going to see um, Jesus casting the net of his word by teaching. And then we're going to see in verses 4 through 7, a living illustration, a parable. In the verses 5, or excuse me, 8 through 11, we're, we're going to see um, our response the appropriate response to God's favor in our life. Let's pray. God, we thank you that, that you um, are an ever-present help in time of trouble. We thank you that in our time of trouble that you condescended and you took on flesh. You lived a sinless life and then you went to the cross and took all of our sin. And you canceled the record of debt that stood against us that we could never pay. And we thank you that you rose again from the dead, that you conquered death. You ascended to the right hand of the Father where you reign and rule. And I thank you that, that, um, that the task that you began um, is unfinished. And that you've handed the baton of casting the net of your word to us, the people that you've already caught by your grace and mercy. So, Spirit of God, I pray that you would convict us today. And I pray, God, that you would encourage us and compel us by your love. Embolden us. To build relationships with those who are swimming in the waters of sin. And I pray, God, that you would use us, use this church to bring many into the net of salvation. God, be with me here this morning. I pray that you would uh, be kind to me and to this body, that I would stand behind your word and I would bring no offense. And may you be honored and glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, casting the net of God's word, the setup. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. They were done fishing. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. As the reports about Jesus' powerful and authoritative teaching 
Um, and his healing spread. His fame and the crowds continued to grow. Here in this passage, we see a throng of people pressing in closer to hear Jesus' powerful and authoritative teaching. As a crowd pressed into Jesus, he decided it would be better to speak from the platform of a boat, a floating pulpit. We don't know exactly why he did that. It might have been so the crowd was so big so they could see him better or hear him better. But we do know this, that Jesus was casting the net of the word of God upon the crowd. He came to teach. And at the same time, he was setting up a living illustration or a parable for Peter and for Jesus' future followers. That we would be given authority and responsibility and the joy of catching men by casting the net of God's word, which is a means to rescue helpless and hopeless men and women and children from the sinful waters of this fallen world and their depraved hearts. It's, he's, he's setting up a parable and illustration. This isn't just about catching fish. It's about those who he has caught by his grace and mercy are called to go and fish. Peter may have encountered Jesus prior to this fishing lesson. We don't know. Um, Luke doesn't have all these accounts in order. Last week we saw that that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. But both Matthew and um, Mark have that that account of healing the mother-in-law after this fishing incident. So we really don't know if if this is Peter's first um, interaction with Jesus. But what we do know is that Peter, along with everybody else, has, has heard of the powerful and authoritative teaching and miracle working of Jesus. Let's take a look at verses four through seven. And we're going to spend most of our time today in verses 8 through 11. 4 through 7, a living illustration. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Jesus, the carpenter, turned teacher and miracle worker, is telling Peter, the professional fisherman, to put the boat out into the deep And cast his net. There are several problems with this request. Peter, the professional, had fished all night and he didn't catch a thing. The fish aren't biting. The second problem is is that fishing in the deep, where Jesus told him to go out, is for night fishing. If you know anything about fishing, we go down to Zihuatanejo, Mexico often, and the fishermen go out and fish at night into the deep because that's where you catch fish. Daytime fishing is best in the shallow waters. Verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Master, he's not recognizing Jesus as a Messiah. Master is a term for authority, that he is recognizing Jesus as some type of authority. He says, Master, if you say so, I'll do it. Peter obeyed, but he didn't seem to have high expectations that he would catch anything after being skunked all night. He probably obeyed because of how he saw Jesus' authority exercised in his teaching and healing. Verses 6 and 7. 
And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. No fish all night. Jesus, the carpenter, the teacher, the miracle worker, tells them to go out and let down their nets. And lo and behold, the nets are breaking and the boats are sinking. This record catch was unexpected to see, say the least. And I want to, what this passage is not about is about God blessing their business because they were obedient. That's not the message here. Prosperity preachers can use this passage to say, obey and he will bless you materially. The point of this passage isn't success in business or guaranteed prosperity if we obey the word of God. The greater point of this passage is that God's normal means of accomplishing his good will and purpose is through his followers. You see, Jesus didn't need Peter or his net to catch the fish. Jesus could have commanded the multitude of fish to jump into the boat. In fact, that might have been more astonishing. But it's not normally the way God works. He's setting up an illustration here. This is a parable. The wording, they enclosed a large number of fish, is the same phrase Luke uses in Acts several times to refer to the multitudes of people that were saved. Acts 5.14 and 14.1 are a couple of places you can go. Jesus' doing was his speaking, but it involved the ordinary and obedient means of human agents to bring in this record catch. Don't miss that. That he participates with human effort in order to bring in the fish. No obedient net throwing, no fish. If Simon had not cast the net in obedience, I doubt there would have been any catch. 8 through 11. What is our response to God's favor? Jesus provided an unexpected bounty of fish for Peter and his business partners. And there's no doubt that that bounty translated into a lot of money for those fishermen. If you've watched The Chosen, this particular episode, they, they embellish it probably more than they should. They actually say that Peter and his partners had some kind of tax problem. So, so Jesus and his kindness, brought in fish and money and all that kind of stuff. It was cute. It just wasn't accurate. And just for the record, I like the chosen. Not because it's not accurate. I like it because they bring life to the characters. By Jesus' authority and power, he showered incredible favor on Peter and his fishing buddies. And Luke describes a reaction to God's favor in verse, uh, verses 8 through 11 that is strikingly different than the reactions of people in chapter 4 that sat under his teaching and saw the demon cast out. Here, here's some of the ways that they responded in chapter 4. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 22, remember in the temple, Jesus was preaching, and it says that they marveled at his gracious words. 
That's, a, that's an appropriate response. But those people then turned and wanted to throw them off the cliff. In chapter 432, in the city of Capernaum, the people were astonished by his authoritative, authoritative teaching. Chapter 4, verse 36, they were all amazed by his authority and power to command a demon to come out of a man. Peter's response is markedly different than those previous three responses. And it's instructive for us today. But before we get to his response, I want us to imagine how Peter could have responded to his fishing success and didn't. And I fear it's the same way that many of us respond to success that we've had in life. Here's one of the ways that he could have responded. Jesus blessed me because of my diligence and going to the temple service every Sabbath and doing everything right because I'm an expert I'm, and, and my patience finally paid off. We nailed it. I find that it's, I find sometimes um, it's, it's all too easy to take for granted or worse, take the credit for our success in parenting and business and marriage and sports especially. I think this is especially true living in an affluent area like northern Colorado. I can take for granted my health, my paycheck, my home, my wife, my kids, my grandkids, my friends, and think that somehow I've earned God's favor, like I've done a good job. I've known parents who've done a better job raising their kids tenfold than me and my wife have, and their kids are off the deep end. When people like ask me, like what did you do in your parenting? so that your kids are walking with the Lord. And I said, if it was up to me, they'd be, I mean, if, it was, if, it, if God was in the picture, they'd all be in jail. Or they'd be homeless. It's God's grace. And I say it and I mean it. I was sitting with somebody last week and was just asking them about, about a transition in life and that type of thing, and I, are you worried about it? And the response was, well, you know, we've really, we've really prepared for it. We've been smart and that type of thing, so there's no fear. And I go, well, inside so I'm going like, well, that's great. But I really want to say that, that God has been so kind to us that we don't have to worry about this next season. Anything good in our lives is a result of God's grace. And not necessarily because of our diligence or our brilliance or our whatever else. Here's another way that Peter could have responded. He could have thought wrongly that the Lord somehow rewarded him and his family and his nation for his obedience and his effort in this life. You see, this is the prosperity gospel. That God blesses me to increase my standard of living. There's a book in the Bible called Job. Who did everything right. 
And God in his providence and his kindness actually brought him through the ringer. You see, we see here in, in, in uh, chapter five, verse nine, that Peter and his fishing buddies, here's their, here's their response in verse nine. They were astonished at the catch of fish that they had brought in. But I want you to see um, how their astonishment of God's favor moved them. And that's the point here today is that our astonishment of God's favor, it's not enough to just go, wow. But now, wow, now how do you want me to live and respond? And they were moved or they responded in three ways to God's favor. Number one, they were humbled. Number two, they feared. And number three, they followed. And with following, I'm going to put, they fished. Because if we're not fishing, we're not fully following. Let's look at humbled, number one, humbled by God's favor. Verse eight, Peter fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, yep, scratch that last part. Some have, said, some have suggested that Peter, that Peter's saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord, that he must be convicted of his sin of unbelief. That when Jesus told him to put the net over the side, that he somehow doubted Jesus in his heart. He probably did doubt Jesus, but I don't think that's the sin that's being talked about here. Peter's not confessing or repenting of a particular sin, but he's most likely had an overwhelming sense of his sinfulness and his unworthiness of God's favor to him through Jesus. Who was he to be looked upon with such favor? Oftentimes, when, when, when God showers us with undeserved favor, we're humbled by knowing that we were unworthy for God to smile upon us because we know our sinful hearts and attitudes. I've got just a, a little story, an example of this, and it's happened a handful of times in my life, but in 2015, um, we went on sabbatical seven years ago. And um, one of the places we went on sabbatical was Redondo Beach. And uh, I had been going to Redondo Beach for about 10 years because I was, I was on the board of a, of a denomination, and it became one of our favorite places to go, um, one of our happy places. And there's a particular hotel in Redondo Beach that we like staying at. It's called the, it's called the Portofino. And it's, um, it really is it, it's above our, our, our pay grade. Um, but we decided to spend two weeks on sabbatical in Redondo Beach at the Portofino. And looking at the rates, they were more expensive than, than we could afford. So I went to hotwire.com. Anybody ever booked a hotel on hotwire.com? It's like Priceline, right? It's kind of scary, but it's exciting, where you actually put in the dates that you want to go, the area that you want the hotel, and then what they do is they kick up a price, not telling you what the hotel is, but it's in that area. And they have morphed a little bit where they tell you it could be one of these three hotels, and so it's not like we're just booking a night. We're booking two weeks, you know, and I didn't want to, like, get the dirt bag in or something like that. I wanted to get the, you know, the Portofino because this was, this was sabbatical. So we, we uh, I was pretty sure. I kind of knew the algorithms and all that. And so I hit the button, and it thinks, 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 thinks. You know, you've already spent the money when you hit the button. And then, boom, Portofino. We get the Portofino for two weeks. And 
what they give you is their most basic room. So we walked in the lobby of the Portofino, super excited, knowing that they're probably going to give us a basic room, but I was going to ask for an upgrade, and they certainly did. They gave us a garden room, which was great. We could have been, you know, content there. And I said, is there any way that you could give us a third floor, top floor room, ocean view? Um, And she said, yes, we can do that. 70 bucks more a night. And I go, you know, here's the deal. Um, We've been in this hotel a number of times. It's one of our favorite spots in the world. Um, I think I gave him like a poor pastor story. and You know, my dog dog died, all that stuff. And, um, and I said, if there's, um, we can't afford $70. And she goes, let me talk to my manager and see what I can do. And she says, but I'm not going to be able to do that for an hour. So we went out and got a bite to eat. We came back, and the lady handed us the key to our room and had a three on the front of it. And we, we took the elevator up to the third floor, walked down to the room, um, and... Behind that door was a room with windows on two walls, and there was a bottle of wine, a charcuterie board, and a note from the manager. I said, thanks for staying with us. We hope you enjoy it. And it's weird that it's emotional, but it was emotional then. Nancy and I both in unison immediately hit our knees and just worshiped and prayed and thanked the Lord for this gift that we knew we didn't deserve. It's helpful to remember that in the midst of God's favor, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we were more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. I think that's a Timothy Keller quote. Peter's reaction is similar to Isaiah's when Isaiah received a vision of the glory and holiness of God in Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I, Isaiah said, Woe to me, for I am a I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Simon Peter, knowing his sinful heart and unworthiness, fell down in the middle of the fish at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I don't think that Peter knew that Jesus was a Messiah yet because of evidence that we have later on in Luke. But at a minimum, he knew that Jesus was an agent of God and a demonstration of the presence of God, which is the first step in understanding who Jesus is. Next, he was fearful. How do we know that Peter was fearful? We know this because Jesus said in the second half of verse 10, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. 
John Piper says this, sin in the presence of a holy power produces fear. Yes, Jesus is saying, I am holy and you should burn in my presence. But do not be afraid, for I came to rescue you and forgive you and to make you my precious possession. This is a pregnant statement. Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be, you'll be fishing for men. This is a pregnant statement that leads to the point of Jesus' real-life illustration. Do not fear. I will not destroy you. And you will become my agents to cast the net of my word to bring in a multitude of men into my kingdom. The point is that Peter and other followers will be instruments of God, agents of God, to gather and rescue people from danger. And in the same way that Peter and the others were Jesus' instruments to cast the net to bring in the fish the Lord, the Lord would bring into the net, they would be his agent of casting the net of his word and bringing in fish those who God puts in the net. Here's the, here's the third and final response. They follow Jesus. Peter didn't get up from his knees, shake Jesus' hand, thank him for the fish, and continue living his life the way that he lived his life before. There was a change. There was a change of direction. He didn't go back to the boat and tweet, God blessed me. I am so blessed. He is. Here's how Luke describes Peter and the other's response in verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. When they experienced God's favor, they responded by leaving their old life behind. And this is a foreshadowing of what we're going to see in Luke chapter 14, verses, verse 33, where Luke writes this, or he, he accounts uh, Jesus saying this, actually. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. The call to follow Jesus is to renounce everything. And this call is motivated by the grace and love and favor that God has shown us in and through Jesus Christ. To renounce everything doesn't necessarily mean to sell everything and to live under a bridge. What it does mean is that we will not be mastered by God's good gifts. We will not be owned by God's good gifts. We won't sell out for his gifts. His gifts won't become our gods that we worship. But we will use his good gifts to further his kingdom, for his kingdom purposes. You see, God's favor demands a response. What is your response to God's favor today? First and foremost, the favor that he has bestowed upon you by rescuing you from the power and penalty of sin and adopting you into his forever family, never to be banished or disinherited. Additionally, what is your response to all the common grace that he's given you? Your health, your family, your finances, your freedom that you get to enjoy in northern Colorado. Our response to God's favor is to renounce everything and follow him. And following him, don't miss this, please don't miss this, following him includes fishing. Fishing. 
Following Jesus is not lived out in the Christian bubble going from one Bible study to another. The word of God is preeminent. We cast the net of the word of God. That's what God uses to save people. But if we're just learning and studying God's word and it's not translating to a greater desire and response and courage and prayerfulness to cast the net, we're not following Jesus. John, the Father has sent me, Jesus says, even so I am sending you. And we will only fish, brothers and sisters, when we are astonished anew by the miracle of Jesus catching us when we were swimming in the other direction. The desire and resolve to fish flows out of a humble and ongoing astonishment that we've been caught by the love and mercy of God never to be released. There's no catch and release in God's kingdom. And a reminder, we don't fish for identity. We fish from identity. If you're not fishing, it may be because, maybe because you're no longer astonished by the miracle of salvation. That you've taken your standing for granted. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 14-15, for the love of Christ controls us or compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live, those who have been captured by his grace and his mercy, those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I love this quote from C.T. Studd, and I love that guy's name as well. True religion is like smallpox. If you get it, you give it to others, and it spreads. So where do you start? First of, all, first of all, don't buy into the lie that missions or fishing for men is only for those with a special call or for the professionals. At times we can, we can think that way. We can have that language and use it as an excuse for our unwillingness to follow God into his kingdom economy. Even if you're an introvert, even if you don't have a non-Christian friend, he wants to use you. And I've learned that although God wants to use us and he will use us, he doesn't need us. In fact, he doesn't need any of us. But in his grace and his kindness, he chooses to use us. That's his plan. He uses us as agents for his kingdom purposes. You might be asking, well, what's next? How do I heed this call? First of all, start fishing in pools where unbelievers swim. We don't need to make fishing hard. And we don't need to make the fish the project. It's simple. And there's zero pressure on us to catch anybody. That's not our job. Our job is to cast the net of God's word. 
Build relationships with people where you live, learn, work, and play. Open your home and life to people who need Jesus. Talk about what Jesus has done and is doing in your life. And then invite people to experience Jesus for themselves. Chill out and joyfully and prayerfully and expectantly throw the net of God's word and relax and know that he's in charge of bringing in fish. A couple ideas. When we moved into our neighborhood 16 years ago, it was at the same time that I was being actually pulled out of all the fishing ponds that I had into this church as a vocational pastor, which I was super excited about, and I still am today. But I also knew that my fishing pools were going were gonna to decrease. So one of the first things I did is I joined Rotary, a secular service group, so that I could meet other people that had like a, a, a servant mindset. And what I found was that I didn't fit there. It was, I was, it, they weren't like me. I wasn't like them. It wasn't any fun. They weren't my people. And so I stopped doing that. We started doing a soup night once a month in our neighborhood. We have 48 homes on, our, on Crescent Drive, on this half-circle drive, both sides. And we did a soup night um, on the second Tuesday of every month. And we put out flyers on that Friday before the second Tuesday. And we'd invite people to come and bring nothing. And it was just a way to get to know our neighbors. Didn't cost anything, didn't take time. Um, and then we stopped doing that after a few years because all that was left that was coming were Christians in the neighborhood, which is great. I love being with Christians, but that wasn't the purpose of it. It was a fishing uh, excursion. And then a couple of years later, we found CrossFit. Um, I, enjoy, I enjoy fitness. Um, I enjoy people. And, um, and I'm now in our 13th year of CrossFit. And we have had amazing opportunities to cast the net of God's word, to pray for people to have them into our home, to do weddings, to do Bible studies, to do funerals. And um, don't make it hard. Where is it that you live, work, play, and learn? Where has God put you? That's where you fish. Oswald Smith said, we talk of the second coming, and we should, because it's our great hope. But we talk of the second, second coming. Half the world has never heard of the first. We're becoming a post-Christian culture here in America. That Colorado's looking more and more like the Northeast or the Northwest. And we can't take for granted that anyone understands the gospel or heaven or hell or the law or sin. And so there's people that God has put in your life providentially that he is wanting to bring into the net. And even though he doesn't need you, he's given you the great opportunity to cast the net of his word and to watch him work bringing people into that net. Keith Green said, this generation of Christians, you and me today, is responsible for this generation of souls on earth. I want to see more people come to Christ. Coming from darkness to light. This church over its life of since 2001, 22 years, 2001, 
um, has seen a number of people come to Christ. But most of our growth has been for, through transfer growth. If you're here through transfer growth, so glad you found us. Really am. As I look around this room, people have moved here. People have left other churches for good reasons. You found this place and you stayed in this place because we teach the word. That we have a desire to reach people. That we want you to be known and we want other people to know you. But brothers and sisters, my prayer is that this next season for Windsor Community Church, that this church would grow by us growing in courage, establishing relationships with non-believers, where we cast the net of God's word in the context of relationship. And then we watch the sovereign one bring those whom he foreknew Draw them into the net for his glory and for our joy. The winds of God's mercy will not be around forever. So let's respond to God's favor by doing the joyful work of casting that of God's word where we work, live, play, and learn.